Oh, cool. thank you for helping. Um, we're moving into our study here, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which is a section of scripture that is, uh, let's just say, controversial, <clears throat> is a mild way of putting it. When everybody has the text, I want us to all read the first 10 verses of chapter 12 together. Just make sure we're, we're all situated, looks like. Good. Anybody need it? There's still some extra coffee. Anybody need it? All right. Looks like we're good. Okay. First Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit... And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one, who is, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Rather simple, rather straightforward, isn't it? And yet at the same time, it's extremely difficult so I wrote a preamble, which I just want to read to you, um, because we have dealt with some very, um, let's just call it controversial issues in these past few months, as 1 Corinthians tends to create division in the church. But I write here, it's simple because the text is fairly straightforward, but it's difficult due to the interpretations and the opinions of what it means. Verses 1 through 11 are full of controversy. Opinions to what they mean, how they are to be expressed, or how and when they are to be used is a vast ocean of opinion, especially related to the miraculous or the spectacular gifts <clears throat> of healing, prophecy, and tongues. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I ask each one of you, for the purposes of our class and for the purpose of any discussion we might have related to it, that we set aside our upbringing, set aside our prejudices, set aside our traditions, and even maybe set aside your own personal study on these topics and at least try to look at this with fresh eyes and a new perspective. Because our goal here in the class is to look at the text. Yes, we'll expand beyond that and get into some of the, the variations. But there is more heated discussion that occurs over this passage and some of the others in found in chapter 14 than almost any other in the New Testament. Say, in almost any other topic, say politics, that creates heated discussion. You get people in a room and talking about this, bam. The enemy loves the opportunity to create division among believers. Any opportunity, but especially here. Entire church movements have been created out of this chapter. Not just break up between family members or friends, but entire churches have been created. 
So if you start feeling uncomfortable or defensive, check your spirit. Because the spirit here is one of learning and exploration together on stuff that you may have already studied to exhaustion. Kind of like I'm exhausted after having studied this. Or it's the first time, and remember that there may be in this room, people, it's the first time they've ever really looked at this. So we have this spectrum right in this room and those who are listening on the audio. As Alistair Begg put it, on these issues, we have a great desire for black and white and no shades of meaning. <clears throat> Thus, we end up coming down on one side or the other. And as soon as you do, you go into a defensive shell to fight off anybody who doesn't believe the way you do. Or you go into an antagonistic role and try to force others to view things your way. <coughs> I have a few books like I was joking about earlier. No, I will not read them all to you. This is more of a show and tell. But just to give you a small sampling of how uh, lines of demarcation are drawn. So you have John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire. The Dangers of Offending the Holy Spirit with Counterfeit Worship. The next year came Michael Brown's book, Authentic Fire, which is a response, literally the subtitle is a response to John MacArthur's Strange Fire. So you have two very smart, two very strong Christian believers who are on opposite spectrum. See, I can remember the quote here. I'm not going to get this perfectly right, but you have on the issue of tongues, on whether or not it's a um, a spirit language or a foreign language. Charles Hodge had a let's see his opinion. I can't remember exactly now, but he took one perspective. Abraham Kuyper, who's another great reformer, was saying one was one way and one was the other. And John Calvin disagreed with both of them. Charles Hodge said that both were, um, was he the one that said both were nonsense or both were? Oh, he was the one that says it was all foreign language. Yeah. And then, and then Kuiper said one was one and one was the other, and Calvin said it was neither. <laughs> well, all three are Reformed theologians. All three have written systematic theologies. And they don't agree. Nothing like creating confusion. So, you have a book like this one, Tom Schneider. I'm sorry, Schreiner. Really excellent book. But he has the opinion that all the miraculous gift ended in the first century. He's a cessationist. Then you have D.A. Carson, who is flat out brilliant, one of the great New Testament scholars of our era. And he takes a middle position. These guys would disagree if they got into a room. And you know, both are very conservative, conservative evangelicals. Then you have C. Peter Wagner. This book is about 30 years old now. Uh, on your spiritual gifts can help your church grow. This was a very influential book back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, primarily coming out of the John Wimber movement and the vineyard, as we call it now. None of these guys agree with each other. So we have these, you know, let's see, five different authors who are all smarter than any of us in this room combined who don't agree. Yeah. So, as Lisa will attest, I have been tying myself up in knots trying to figure out how I'm supposed to talk about this in an hour. Now there's a clue at the very top of your page after the phrase 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> Part one, because I knew there was no way I was going to finish this today. Absolutely no way. It, we could be end up in part 12. John MacArthur has 12 sermons on this chapter alone. 12. Alistair Begg has three sermons on the first 11 verses. 
I have a friend of mine who is the uh, chairman of the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. He's one of my clients, an extremely brilliant man. His name is Stan Jantz, J-A-N-T-Z. And he's written about 50 books, a wide variety of things. Well, his most recent one just came out called Fire and Wind. And I want to read you what he wrote. And what I love about Stan is he's like most of us. He didn't go to seminary, didn't get a degree in New Testament studies or anything of that nature. He's a layperson who has written 50 books on the Bible and on theological topics. Amazing. So he comes to this topic. He writes this. I have a confession to make. For most of my Christian life, I have operated as if my existence here on earth were the only thing that counts. Even though I believe in a supernatural God and have accepted his gift of salvation made possible by his supernatural son, I have not taken the supernatural world seriously. Sound like any of us? Don't get me wrong. I've always believed in the supernatural, but I have lived as if there were nothing more to this life than what I can see, hear, taste, and smell. Maybe it's the effect of growing up in the Western world, heavily influenced by rational and scientific thought. Or perhaps it's because the churches I have attended throughout my life have been strong on the practical side of living as a Christian. Love God, love your neighbor, read your Bible, give to missions, that sort of thing. All good and vital components of the Christian life. But where has been my awe of the supernatural dimension of my faith? When have I read about miracles in the Bible and truly believed they could happen today? Oh, I believe I'll go to a supernatural place when I die or when Jesus returns, but that's for later on. So far on earth, my life has been lived in the natural and ordinary rather than the supernatural and extraordinary. In my journey to better know the Holy Spirit and His role in my life, I have come to understand that living on earth is anything but natural and ordinary. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, both as an individual and as a member of the body of Christ. The third person of the Trinity has regenerated me, indwelled me, and now fills me as I make room in my spiritual house. I have everything I need to live a spiritual life. A fascinating introduction, because this is his introduction to the discussion of the spiritual gifts. So that's my preamble. Yes? Oh, sorry. This is Fire and Wind, W-I-N-D, and the author is Stan Chance, J-A-N-T-Z, and I'm going to be having lunch with him later this month, and I will tell him I quoted from you in my class, and everyone is in awe. <laughs> he will be nonplussed. Um, <clears throat> so let's look at the text. Now that I've set that all up. And I'm not going to just blow through this. I'm going to break this down slowly so that we understand what Paul is writing through the inspiration of Scripture to us in 2020. So you have the context in which he's writing, but it also has the import of today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. Okay, now concerning, very important, two words. It's the same phrase you find in chapter 7, verse 1. The same phrase you find in chapter 8, verse 1. It means it's a new topic. It's something that he is now going to focus on. If you recall, the letter to the Corinthians, it seems from what you can extrapolate is that a series of questions had been sent to Paul. We don't know what the questions were. We can kind of figure out what the topics were. But then he began addressing them in turn because he wrote this to the Corinthians from Ephesus, and he had not been in Ephesus for a few years, and he's hearing about trouble. 
And if you look at chapter 14, and then also over here in chapter 12, you realize that chaos had begun to foment itself within the worship service in the Corinthian church, specifically to the expression of the spiritual gifts. So that's where it starts. Now it's very interesting. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not in the Greek. It's not there. It's added by every one of the translators. Now you can say, well, how important is that? It's not really that important because by the context, we know what the topic is. If you look at it in other parts of the verses. But I want to make sure you understand what we're looking at. The Greek word here is pneuma tikon. You recognize the word pneuma, meaning word spirit. Pneuma tikon means the spirituals, because it's plural. So he's saying, now concerning the spirituals, if that had been in our English translation, we would have had a whole nother level of books trying to decide what do you mean by the spirituals, but because the rest of the chapter is about the spiritual gifts, we make, we add in, in our English, we add in the word gifts, but it's actually the spirituals. This is found over in, um, let's see, where is it? It's chapter 2. Yes, chapter 2, verse 15. It reads, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The word there is pneumatikon. The spiritual person. Not meaning the spiritual gifts person, but the spiritual person. So it's the same word, just we have changed it for clarity in our English translations. But as he says here, um, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, does that suggest that they thought they were informed, but they are actually uninformed? He's trying to say, I'm giving you some correction here. And he is, you know, he's talked about, thank you for, you know, being good about listening to what I taught you a long time ago. But then he also at the same time comes down on them pretty hard saying, you guys are messing up. If you remember last week, um, oh goodness, where was it? I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago. He was being very critical of their position and of their, their action saying, it'd be better if you just didn't meet as a church because you're messing up so bad. <coughs> Verse 2 and verse 3, I think, they're actually usually skipped when people teach this. But I think verses 2 and 3 inform the rest of the passage in a very strong way. Why? It's not evident really in the text, but it's evident in what he's referring to. You know... Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And therefore, I want you to understand, not I don't want you to be uninformed, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about? What was pagan worship like? It wasn't like a Baptist church. They're all sitting very quiet with their hands folded. It's not like anything. You can talk about the worship of Apollo or the priestess of Delphi or the Sibyl of Cumae that are described in vivid description by the, uh, the, the writer Virgil of this person, a priestess or a priest with their ecstatic utterances where they would just start babbling. 
unintelligibly and you know just going crazy and dancing and spinning as someone who's on some uh, hallucinogenic is a description that has been made of that they're just seeming out of control now if you've grown up in the pagan church of the Corinthian day and this is what you saw as normal You then come into this congregation in Corinth and go, where's the uh, spinning demon-like person? You know, can we have some of that? Because that's normal. This is what's being brought into the Corinthian congregation. They're bringing their pagan practices, and this is not the only time he's talked about this pagan practices or other derivations of that. I read, could this ecstatic practice have made its way into the early church? And this is why Paul is referring to it. Why else would he refer to it? Something has been brought in that's odd or not of God. You could still have ecstatic utterances if they're of God. But obviously what's happening here isn't because he says, here's the test. What are they saying during these expressions? Are they saying Jesus is Lord? Well, if they are, then it's from the Holy Spirit. If they're saying Jesus is accursed, probably not. It's kind of an easy test where this particular passage gets kind of messed up in, in, uh, in our own uh, trying to unravel all of this, is that we might say, well, I see on TV, which is suddenly a, a, just a great way, it's like searching Google for the right answer. It's a, oh, it's a perfect expression of what all Christianity is. Right? You've had friends who say, well, I saw that guy on TV. I mean, like, you, you believe that? Oh, well, no. I mean, I know he's revising his theology late, but Benny Hinn, a very famous TV preacher, was well known for his Holy Ghost machine gun. And you go, what is that? He would have people lined up and he would go, and they would all be slain in the spirit. And they'd all fall over backwards, one after another. And he'd call it the Holy Ghost machine gun. And you go, what am I seeing here? And yet everyone in that congregation and everyone in that movement goes, yeah, it's normal. So you want to say, is that wrong? Well, you could make a case that it is. And you might, others would say, they would look at you and go, what's wrong with you? You don't have this. So you see, we've just stepped into a tiny little pool of muck just by that illustration. I want you to understand that all of the stuff from the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit, not from anywhere else. And that's your litmus test. Be careful. So we continue on. Now there are, and this is where we have to look at our Greek again, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Look at the word same. Verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. Okay. Same what in verse 4? Spirit. Same what in verse 5? Who is? Jesus. Jesus. And same what in verse 6? God. Huh. There's the Trinity. Just in reverse order from how we usually say it. We usually say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul just wrote Holy Spirit, Son, and Father. Some commentators, I actually came across a couple that actually reframed the whole rest of the chapter under that organization. 
and saying it's actually a uh, Paul's attempt to show the fullness of the Godhead, the Trinity, throughout all the rest of the chapter. I have a feeling they were doing a little bit of trying to take the, the nice round thing and stick it into an octagon. I mean, it could fit if you pushed hard enough. But I'm, you know, it felt, it felt like a construction, um, an exercise, in, brilliant, an exercise, but I'm not sure that was Paul's intent here to, to try to show the Trinity through the rest of the chapter. But here, it's very intentional. Paul is not trying to leave out God. He's not trying to leave out Jesus and only talk about the Spirit. He makes it very clear that all three members of the Trinity are present in this situation. To use phrases like same Spirit, same Lord, same God, I'll tell you, as someone who works with writers, this is very intentional. So let's not discard it. Let's notice it and embrace what he's trying to say. But when it comes to the Greek, you have in verse 4, 5, and 6 the word, word uh, ver various or verities. This is an interesting little word. Let me spell it here. D-I-A-R-E-S-I-S. Diaresis. Oops, it's Now, the root word, if you take off the dia, is the root word H-A-R-E-S-E-I-S, heresies. That's where we get our word heresy from, the opposite of what's used here. This is destructive, heresy is destructive, diaresis is constructive. So he's trying to say what we have here is constructive, it's building up. It's an intentional word to try to express that. All right. Next word for the Greek. Aren't you so glad you get Greek lessons here on Sunday Okay. It's the word gifts. Now before we define gifts, we need to look at what the Greek words are. The word gift in the Greek is the Greek word charisma. Very simple. The plural Gifts is the word charismata. The word grace is the word charis. Look at that. The root of gifts is grace. I don't know if you ever thought of that before. I hadn't. It just was kind of one of these little moments of ding, of course I should have known that. But without grace there are no gifts. Because the gifts come from God. We have nothing that is, unless it is given to us, by God, through the Holy Spirit. These <coughs> gifts are a grace. So what do you mean by gifts? If you don't define this word, the rest of the passage will make no sense to you. This is, where, this is why we're slowing down so much, because I tell you, it's, it's a challenge. One said, the gifts are there to enable a person to glorify and serve God. That's simple. Very simple. Uh, a guy named Bob Deffenbaugh wrote, The gifts are a 
supernatural ability sovereignly bestowed upon every Christian by the Holy Spirit, enabling him or her to carry out their divinely assigned function as a member of Christ's body, the church. That's a very full explanation, and I, had, I doubt if you could quote it back to me, because there's a lot of words there. Another, uh, Ray Stedman said, the gifts are something that we did not possess before we became a Christian. That's interesting. And he distinguishes, as a lot of people do, there's a distinguishing, this distinction between a natural talent and a spiritual gift. And I think that's correct. You can have a gift from God that is a natural talent. You're born with it. Or it's something that you've developed into a talent. But talent is not a spiritual gift. Because we don't have here a list that includes you're an expert coder. That you can work with, you know, computer coding. That's not one of the spiritual gifts, but that certainly is a talent. Mathematics isn't one of the spiritual gifts. Neither is music. It's not mentioned. You can have the talent for music, you can use it to glorify God, but it's not in the spiritual gifts, at least as we look at it here. We could have a rousing discussion on the difference between talents and gifts. The problem is our English language tends to blur the word gifts. So you have to add the descriptor, spiritual gifts, natural gifts, to separate them. Otherwise, we start mixing them up in our head, and you start saying, well, he's blessed with that gift. Well, is that a spiritual gift? Not necessarily, at least according to how this is laid out. Does that make sense, or do I need to repeat any of that? <laughs> You've got it? Okay. Well, showing up isn't a gift, it's 99%. But see, that's not a gift. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a natural gift. There you go. Yeah. And then we have, this is the same God who empowers energmata, energy, that empowers them all. And what's the next phrase? In everyone. Everyone gets one. Everyone has access to the spiritual gifts. God gives them to them. Okay? To each. Not to some. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the word manifestation, to manifest, means to become evident or to be an open display out where everyone can see. Not necessarily something that is only for you in your closet. There are those that would teach that way. Which would counter what is saying here. It's a manifestation and why? For the common good. And the word common good, oh I love this word. It actually ties into the latter part of the chapter and we'll come back to it later, but I want you to see the Greek word here. The Greek word for common symphiron or symphony. And as soon as I saw that, I went, oh, well, it's a picture of a symphony. All the various instruments all coming together with a conductor that's creating grand music. But before the conductor comes out, what does the symphony sound like? <laughs> Chaos. Chaos. Cacophony. Everybody's blowing. You know, some guys over here, and the, you know, the guy with the timpanis even got his ear next to it going, doing, 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 doing. Well, you know, again, we have a percussionist in our family, so I know they are tuning that thing. But really? I mean, it, how do they even hear it with all that noise going on? But then it comes out and there's this quiet, and then suddenly they're all on the same page and it's gorgeous. How did that happen? What a great picture or an, an analogy 
of, and to have the word simpharon as the word common good, I think is a beautiful picture. Now you might say, oh good, now we're getting to the list of the gifts. Let's get into the good stuff, Steve. I've been waiting this entire time for you to get there. Okay, well, as usual, I have a handout. Which, uh, yay, Carl, <laughs> you're my designated guy. Wearing me out. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Thank you for helping me, really. Helps the time go together much quicker. What I'm handing out, and you'll all be getting this in a second, is a list of the spiritual gifts as found in the New Testament. There are four different places where spiritual gifts are listed. We have this place right here in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. We also have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 to 30, same chapter. We also have it in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4, there are two of them listed. Now, what makes this chart a little bit different than the most that you see is I am not listing them in the order in which they are found in the book. I'm listing them to show where they are repeated. You see the difference? Not that there's a list from A to Z because then we'd be looking at, um, I mean, those lists are around. And even as I've been studying this this week, I will, when I come back next week, I may have to rehand this out because I might have already changed it. Um, to show you how controversial this is. And just a couple things I'm going to point out. You haven't had time to absorb this. I obviously, again, I have the advantage of studying this and teaching this and looking at it carefully. A lot depends on which Bible translation you're using. So a lot of the charts that I found in various places, some used the NASB, some used the, um, the NIV, depending on which NIV it is, whether it's the old one or the new one. I then converted it to be the ESV because that's the Bible most of us have in our, our laps and the one that we have in our pews. But notice the second one on the list, prophecy. It isn't prophecy four times. It's prophecy, prophets, prophecy, prophets. Well, in the English language, prophets are the people who prophesy, not the prophecy who profits, not P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Um, <laughs> let's start, so be careful of our homonyms here. Um, so is the office of prophets a spiritual gift? And notice when the office of prophets as a spiritual gift is listed, it's the same time where Paul is writing about the apostles. You have apostles and prophets. But when he talks about prophecy, there's no apostle. So we'll be talking about this in, when we kind of dig into this a little bit more. But you find this, this is fascinating. Another little uh, interesting thing is over in column number four, you have Ephesians where you have shepherds. Shepherds is in the ESV. Every other translation is the word pastors. And then you have under that, teachers. So it's shepherds and teachers. Well, there are some that would say that's the same thing. That a pastor and a teacher is the same gift. And then you have others who go, well, obviously they're not. And then you end up, you know, getting out the gloves and having a nice little fist fight over in the corner, at least over the water cooler. Mm -hmm. um, but I broke it down, I broke it apart. Then over in column one, this is where I might be changing the chart. You have the, an ESV does not have words of wisdom or words of knowledge. It has utterance of knowledge. It's the same thing, speaking it. So you have the question of, well, is it, should it be switched? Should the utterance of knowledge be equated to teaching and the wisdom be by itself? Did I do that wrong when I put this together? Yeah, my wife says yes. <laughs> we had this discussion at dinner last night. Um, or should it not even be on the same latitude line? Should it be its own category? That teaching is different 
than words of wisdom or words of knowledge. There would be those that would say, well, absolutely they're different. Well, okay. And then you start looking at, when you look at the chart this way, you start realizing there's some that only show up one time. You get down into the bottom of the, of the chart, you have generosity or giving is all by itself. Well, what is, this, what is, what is the spiritual gift of giving? Well, that means they're a bazillionaire and they give away a lot of money. Well, not necessarily. That's how we would naturally think about it. Then you have the gift of faith. What is that? And then the gift of mercy. What is that? And on top of it, this is when it gets really fun. In, in this book, see Peter Wagner's Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow, he adds seven gifts to this list. He adds martyrdom, voluntary poverty, celibacy, hospitality, missionaries, intercession, and exorcism to his list. And he has them defined in here. I'm so confused. How about you? Well, before we even dare, and we're not going to get into the lists today, we have to set a foundation of what are they first before we even dare to start breaking out, well, that's this one and this is that one, and then we have our rousing discussions. That's for next week, which means you all have to come back. Otherwise, you will be totally confused and will never have a solid Christian life. So if you don't come back <laughs> next week, we will know there's something wrong with you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there is no list in the New Testament that includes all 23 or all 18. There's 23 listed, but there are some repeats and then some that are unique. It all depends on how you count. Some count only 22 because of the, the uh, pastor-teacher thing. Some count 23. The order that they are listed is unimportant. There has been a lot of ink spilled on saying, well, he mentions this one first because it's most important. Or he mentions tongues last because it's the most important. So he was doing it in reverse order. I don't think the order has any meaning at all because if you take the four uh, sections, five sections, and lay them up in the order in which they are listed, they are not in any consistent thing. And it's fascinating because two of the lists are found in chapter 12. So he writes one list here. There are only seven, what? How many verses different? Ten verses difference? And suddenly he's got another list, and they don't match. Doggone it, Paul. Look what you did to us. Well, obviously it's not his intent to do that. There's something else he's trying to say. So here's a question, which I do not have the answer for, but I have read multiple people who have answers. Ah. Are all of the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible? Or is it a closed canon? Obviously, C. Peter Wagner thought there were others that you could add in. And if you notice, I've had heard people say, well, I have the spiritual gift of hospitality. Find that on this list. Well, you say what's under helps. Fine, good. But don't call it that then. You want to define it that way, that's fine, but is that what it means? And you also have in, obviously, when we look in the text, especially in chapter 14, that there were those in the Corinthian uh, group that thought some were more important than others. One teacher called it the problem of elitism. Challenge with elitism, it also creates defeatism. So you have 
In other words, you come to the church and the pastor goes, oh, you have the gift of tongues. Well, we have the second row in the front for you. Oh, you have the gift of helps? Uh, the kitchen's around back. Wait. Guess what we do? We suddenly get jealous or we think that our gift is not as good as the others. We have to be very careful with this. Extremely careful with That's this. That's why I'm saying John is most important. They're all just important. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. Exactly. I mean, God bless the city trash collectors. They lost track. Well, no. Yeah. So, question number one. What is the source of the gifts? We've already defined the gifts as they come from God. But is that where the source is? The source is what? Spirit. Holy Spirit. It's from God. No question. It is something bestowed upon us, not earned. You can't put enough coins into the spiritual gift vending machine to get the one you want. It doesn't work that way. If you think that way, it's not scriptural. If anybody teaches that way, it's not scriptural. It's extra biblical. And I mean, seriously, anybody tries to do that on you, just say, show me where it says that in the scripture. Because it doesn't. In verse 11 says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It is God's choice. It is God's gift. Uh, what is the purpose of the gifts? Purpose is, it's found in verse 7, for what? The common good. Okay? It's for the church. It's for the building up of the church. And it's common, means everyone, not the individual. It's not for the individual good, it's for the common good. These are not toys to play with, but they are tools to use. Ephesians chapter 4, right after he gives his list of the, uh, the gifts in verse chapter 11, he writes, Paul writes, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to teleos, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And he goes on from there. The purpose is for the common good, for all of us to share in the wealth of the Scripture, the wealth of the power of the Spirit. So who gets them? So we've talked about the source. We've talked about the purpose. Who gets the gifts? Hmm? Everybody. Christians. When you become a Christian, you will receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, is it gifts plural or gifts singular? There is a major pastor teacher in this valley who teaches that everyone only gets one. And you want to go, okay, where does it say that? Well, you could actually make an argument out of verse 11 um, that all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportioned to each one individually. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Um, I'd say that's kind of limiting to the power of God because there may be some who have one, maybe two, maybe three. So no one is ungifted. But when do they get, get their gift? Answer? Immediately. Hmm? Immediately upon salvation. When do they become manifest? When do they show themselves? Ooh, that's an interesting question. When they know that. I mean, you just... It doesn't necessarily mean... 
that when I was saved at the age of six, I became a Bible teacher. Nope, didn't happen. I was not teaching adult Sunday school when I was six. I didn't start teaching adult Sunday school on a regular basis until I was around 23 or 24. All those years, the gift may have been there. I may not have recognized it. Wasn't I? Lisa and I were talking about it. I can't even remember how I started teaching that adult Sunday school at the small church we were in. We think either one of the elders or one of the pastors said, "Why don't you start teaching this adult class?" I'm like, oh, okay. Never even thought about it. And I haven't done it consistently. I have here in the last 12 years, 13 years, but. It can have its manifestation at different times. Then there's another question, is that, is there a second blessing? You have the one that comes at conversion, which we can pretty much all agree on. But then you hear language and terminology and conversation about the second blessing. Is there such a thing? You have some traditions that would say that you are not fully Christian unless you have it. A second blessing. You can even have the difference between, this is going to be really subtle guys, so just follow with me. The difference between the Pentecostal or denominational Pentecostal, pretty much Assembly of God or Foursquare, versus the charismatic which is a more loosely defined, not a really denomination, but just a movement. You would have the Pentecostal says, you have a second blessing that is identified in the speaking in tongues. But the speaking in tongues as a sign is, doesn't necessarily stay with that person and can go away. Charismatic side says you have the speaking in tongues, but then you are always speaking in tongues. And so you can go to what would be defined as a charismatic worship service. And before long, everybody in the room is speaking in tongues at the same time. Everybody. You have that spectrum, very wide spectrum. You also have charismatic places where it's not everybody in the room. It's one person stands up. I actually saw this in a church once. One person stands up and they're speaking in tongues and another person stood up and said, this is what he said. He interpreted it. Yeah, you had a question. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've heard of the second blessing. Where is that from? Where is that from? <laughs> you have an answer? Somewhat with the Wesleyans. Hmm? Somewhat with the Wesleyans. Somewhat with the Wesleyan. So the idea of the movement of the Spirit that comes and empowers you after conversion. Now, this is how I wrote it. I said, I believe that God may grant the favor or the fervor of a powerful experience after conversion. There are many of us in this room who have experienced that. There's some time where the presence of God and the power of God just comes upon you. It's almost like a revival where just BAM! It's just amazing. Some would say that in certain circles is that's when the expression of tongues or other gifts are then expressed. But there's no doubt that there are times in life where God's presence is very powerful on you. Is that a second blessing? Maybe. But the second blessing idea isn't a right nor is it a litmus test that if you don't have it, you're not spiritual enough. And that's where the danger comes in. In my years of working in the Christian bookstore, now those stories are all historical fiction. It was so long ago. Um, but you would have people from the entire spectrum of Christianity coming into that place. I even had the spectrum working for me I had got one guy on one side of the aisle who believed in the full expression and the power of all the spiritual gifts and a guy on the other side of the aisle who said all of it ended at the first century. I never let them debate 
when they are on the sales floor. So if you're going to debate this issue, go in the back room and do it on your own time, but not when I'm paying you to serve the customer. But you would have people come in and they're trying to express their dissatisfaction with their Christian life. And they say, yeah, I've just never spoken in tongues. And I mean, everybody's telling me I need to. So what do I do? Which book should I read? <laughs> okay. So the next question, and I want because we're already running out of time, so I'm going to defer some of this to next week. Next, you have the distribution of them. So we have the source, we have the purpose, we have the recipients. But now, who gets what? And how do you know what's yours? There are spiritual gift inventory tests that are out there. I even found one. Got it right here. Okay. There's a series of 80 tests, 80 questions that you answer, kind of one of these personality tests. And then you're supposed to add in your number and then do the, all the totaling. And in the comments on the website it says, can anybody do the math for me? <laughs> it was really funny. And there was a link to a church that had taken this entire test and put it online. And you click, 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 click. And then it gives you your results. This particular test is from Lifeway Christian Resources, Southern Baptist Church. What's very interesting about this list, and it's very, 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 very well done. The gifts of healing and the gift of tongues are not on the list. Interesting. In other words, they have made a statement related to their opinion regarding certain spiritual gifts as not ones you can take a test for. Years and years and years ago, both Lisa and I actually took a spiritual inventory gifts list. It was actually the one put together by C. Peter Wagner. It looks very good. Uh, it was very helpful at that time in my life. And it told me I had the gift of teaching and the gift of administration. I went, really? Huh, never knew that. Well, here's a problem, guys. The problem with spiritual inventory tests is it's all about you. Our question to God should not be, which one of these is mine? The question should be, how can I serve you, Lord? In what way? I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Okay, good. Then you go to someone like Pastor Ron and say, where do you need some help? And he might say, ooh, fresh meat. No. <laughs> He doesn't say that. He will actually talk to you, question you, find out your interests, find out where you, you feel your own strengths are, and then try to put you in the right place within the body of the church. That's service. And you might get into something and go, whoa. For example, do not ask me to teach five-year-olds. PowerPoint charts don't translate. Heavy theological discussions don't translate well. It's just not my gift, but I can teach you guys. I mean, we can explore things together. But I remember as a high schooler taking one of these personality test things that's, you know, to help you understand which career path you should take. Talk about dangerous and talk about how malleable I was. It basically said, of course, there's a lot of people who agree with this assessment. You are not a people person, so don't work with people. I went, wow, okay. So what did I originally, my, my original goal was to be a systems analyst in computers. And I took accounting classes. Partly is I was influenced by that because I looked at it and went, yeah, that's kind of me, you know? And so it shifted my interest, now granted it, also helped me narrow what I knew where I was headed. But that's the danger of these tests, is that you could actually end up because you answered question 17 wrong. Not because you were asking the Spirit to guide you. So there's a danger there. 
Uh, yeah, we are literally out of time. Um, so as I've said, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff, as they say. We haven't gotten to the list in chapter 12 on the various gifts, and we will look at these in order and in more detail. And that's where our discussion will uh, ramp up as a group, because I would like to hear from you when we come together next time. I want to hear from you some of your own experiences, how you see them or how you've seen them expressed. Um, because it will help all of us in our own understanding because we're limited by our experience or our church background or our church understanding. But at least we have some foundation now, some definition of terms that we can build on. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. To have this opportunity to look into these controversial, if you, if, if for lack of a better term, but also to look at the fact that they are gifts to us. This is something you have designed for each one of us. And for us to explore that, to look at it, to see what you mean by all of this is a wonderful privilege as a group, as a body, to explore the meaning of the gifts of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.